that I'm walking on, and then you let out the basset hound. And and he takes out after this cat, and every single time, the cat would run to the same tree, jump up at this tree, and just go, poof. And like for a second, like it looked back at the dog like, ha, 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 ha. And then would just slowly slide down the tree. <laughs> its back legs trying all it can to hold on, you know. But the front legs, there's nothing there. And it's just like, you know, mittens. Like, eh, 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 and down it goes. And then Pokey would, that's the name of the dog, by the way. Um, he would make business with the cat and we'd have to save it. But a clawless cat. Now, a couple years ago. True story. The outdoorsmen in the room are not going to believe this. But in June of 2008, significant time of my life, and I said to Pastor Billy, hey, I'm going to go away for a couple days. And so I got my canoe, and I drove out to uh, Moorfield, West Virginia, and I got in the South Branch of Potomac, okay, right there in, uh, what county is that? Hampshire County. And floated the the Romney on the trough. It's this beautiful section of water. You should do it sometime. It is awesome. And I went there all by myself. It was beautiful. It was like Tuesday, Wednesday. Nobody else is on the water. I mean, it just was a perfect trip. I set up my camp on Tuesday. Got my tent all set up. And this horrible storm came in. Big lightning coming down. Okay? I mean, just very, very scary. I mean, I was really honestly scared for my life. And I get in my tent... And I remember I'm in there, like, looking out, like, what's going to happen? And I kid you not, you're not going to believe me, but I, with all my heart, I believe what I'm getting ready to tell you, okay? A mountain lion, like a cougar, came through my campsite. It was the coolest thing in the world. I've been in the woods all my life. I've never seen a mountain lion, not in the wild. But this animal came into my camp area there, ran around in a circle, lightning is crashing, and stopped for just a minute and looked at me and winked. Okay, that's not really true. But I saw this animal, and it was so powerful. It was so strong. It was about the color of a deer, okay? Had a long tail, all right? I mean, it was a mountain lion. I know mountain lions. I've seen pictures, and I've seen a real one. And I knew at the time, if that thing wanted to, it could have me for lunch. Now, what's the difference in that stupid cat that ran outside and bounced off the tree? And that mountain lion that honestly raised fear. It was more than the claws. But it's part of it. You know, we're going into Christmas. And what I find is, all around us, Christmas cards and gifts and commercials. Everybody's talking about Jesus. Now, they may not use the word Jesus, but the whole holiday is centered around Jesus. But the truth is, the Jesus they're talking about has been declawed. He's been declawed. And people don't want the Jesus that you and I know from Scripture. They want the soft, kind, declawed Jesus that, quite honestly, just bounces right off of anything he grabs hold of. But the truth is, God of the universe, who became a man, Jesus Christ, is a powerful, awesome person who we know and worship today. We don't have to fear him 
But we didn't know who he really is. Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 20. And we're going to encounter some people who didn't understand this truth about the one that stood there before them. In Luke chapter 20 is where we're at. You know how we do it. We're walking through books of the Bible. And what is, what is happening now in, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to take just a few weeks and we're going to look at sort of some common words that you hear right around Christmas. Okay? You're going to hear some different words that you, that you hear right around Christmas. Today we're going to talk about Son of David. Son of David. And you'll hear this sort of packaged in different ways. Okay? You hear about the town of David. You hear that Joseph was a son of David. You keep hearing this concept of David. And what in the world does that have to do with Jesus? That's what we're going to try to answer today. We're going to do it by looking at Luke chapter 20, verses 41 to 46. I'm excited in the next couple of weeks to do, spend some time talking about Christmas words that you hear left and right and understand what they really, truthfully mean. And here's what today's is. Jesus Christ is the son of David. And what that means is he is the one, the only one deliverer that is available for us. He is the Christ, the Messiah. He's not clawless. No, no, no. You don't cover his hands with mittens. He is God in the flesh. This is such a truth that he proclaimed That he gave his life for it and rose victorious over the grave. Read with me, John chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 20, verse 41. Now we know in the context what's been going on. This is, I call this almost like a public trial now. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is walking through the streets of Jerusalem for about a week. And he is encountering different sort of leaders of the culture. He encountered the Pharisees, he's encountered the Sadducees. He's encountered the scribes. He's encountered the the elders. There's like this public trial going on. This is the last interaction. This is it. After this, we don't really see much interaction between him and the religious leaders. Let's see where it goes. Verse 40, notice it says, "For For they no longer dared to ask him any question. That was the Sadducees. But he said to them, How can they say... That Christ is David's son. So here we have it. Son of David. What does it mean? And Jesus himself says to the religious scholars of the day, people who understood their Old Testament, he says, how can they say that Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, just a little note there. Notice we see David, an author of the Psalms. Okay. Another clear claim of Jesus that the Old Testament was written long before they were there. This is not some idea. This is not some book that man has put together. David said in the Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David thus calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Now what we see here is Jesus referring to himself as a son of David. Actually, more correct would be the son of David. And I want us to understand today, I want us to get an idea of what that meant. And if I were going to define it, I would say man's only hope. Man's only hope. And what we'll see in this passage is this truth. 
that the religious leaders of the day, okay, and I would dare say the people that we encounter in life, even today, they're okay, the religious leaders of the day are okay with the Messiah or Christ. Those terms are synonymous. They are the same thing. One's Hebrew, one's Greek, basically. But they're, they're okay with the Messiah or the Christ being a man. They're okay with that. But don't dare claim him to be God. It's okay that he's a man. He can be a good man. He can be a great man. He can be a good teacher. He can be a great teacher. We can base our calendar on him. We can, we can you know, 2,000 years later, be celebrating a holiday about him. We can give gifts in his name because he received gifts. We can have all these Christmas cards that depict different scenes of his birth. It's okay for him to be a man. But you keep those mittens on. No claws on this man, please. But that is not the reality of who the Messiah is. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they're all there now. They're all there in this public arena. They've now put their question to Jesus, and now he puts a question to them. I love this scene. He says, how can you say, I picture his finger going across. A clawed finger, I guess, right? His finger going across the room. How can you say that the Messiah is a son of David? Now, we need to understand why it is that they so champion the idea of the son of David. Now, I just want to walk through a brief history, and I'm not going to bore you. I know this stuff gets, I get more excited about this than, than a lot of people, but I want to walk through just a brief history. You know, God made man, okay? Man rebelled against God. Man said, no, I don't want you. As a matter of fact, you can see when we get to the Tower of Babel that man not only rebels against God, man conspires to rebel against God. Man comes together to work opposing God. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 11. And God sees this, and at that moment, God changed their language. So they all talked babbly to one another. God changed their languages. So then man spoke in different languages. And what happened then is man became very diverse. All men created in the image of God, but lots of diversity. That is our God. And so now man spreads. And God then steps into the world and selects one man. His name was Abraham. And says, I will work through you. I will make you a nation. I will give you a name. And through you, all the peoples of the world will be blessed. The descendants of Abraham are called Jews today. Can, they can be called Hebrews. They can be called Israelites. There's a lot of different terms for who they are. But here we are 4,000 years later, and they still exist. Interesting. And God then established that through this group of people, the descendants of Abraham, he would bless the world. Most specifically, he would send his son, God's son, as one of those Jewish people. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. And so the history of Israel is this. They rose to this great, powerful nation. David was their king. Solomon was another one. And they were this powerful force in their world. 
And they honored and they loved David. But soon after that, they fell into sin. And the Jewish people then began a history that we have seen played out on the newsreel in front of us. Where other groups of people, I believe empowered by Satan, have come to stomp out the Jewish people. First it was the Babylonians that came in. and Actually, let me back up. First it was the Assyrians that came in and smashed the Jewish people. There was the Babylonians that came in and smashed the Jewish people. There was the Greeks came in and smashed. There was the Romans and smashed over and over and over. And all through this time, all through these times, as these people, they know their history. They know what God has said. And they're waiting for a deliverer. They're waiting for the Messiah. Now you probably won't find the word Messiah in your Old Testament. You might depend on the translation. Often it's translated anointed one. It's one that God is sending. As man's only hope, God is sending his Messiah to the earth. Let me read some verses that these very people that Jesus is standing there talking to knew these verses. Listen to what the word of God says. Great salvation he brings to his king, that's his anointed one, and shows steadfast love to his anointed one. Psalm chapter 20, verse 6 says this, Now I know that the Lord will save his anointed one. He will answer him from his holy heaven. Psalm 132 says, There will I make a horn to sprout for David. I prepared a lamp for my anointed one. All through their songs, the Jewish people are waiting for this coming Messiah. Soon after they were stomped out by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, they had this prophecy. Put on the screen. It's Isaiah chapter 11. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now see, you've got to know a little bit about your Bible to know what that's talking about. Jesse is the father of King David. Okay? So from Jesse, this Jewish man, From that stump, a shoot will come, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And Isaiah 11 goes on and talks about all the wonderful things that this anointed one will do. And who this anointed one was, And who are the Jewish people, their most common title for this anointed one was son of David. And there it is, from the stump of Jesse, this one will come. So go back now to Luke chapter 20. And you see here, he said to them, how can they say that Christ is David's Son. Now let me just say this. And now I think I'm this back to your worship notes. I want you to see that even in this moment where Jesus is on public trial, people are coming in from every angle, Jesus is knocking. He is knocking on man's heart. And what this question is that Jesus asks, how can you say that the Messiah, that the Christ is David's son, is a, it's an offering of grace that Jesus is giving It's an offering of grace. He could have called judgment down on them. He will. 
He will call judgment down on these leaders of the day. But in this moment, he's trying to reach into their hearts and saying to them, how can you believe this? How can you call the Christ only David's son? Listen, folks. We're going into Christmas. I know that. I know the world is trying to celebrate. But you need to know that this is an opportunity for Jesus to work in lives. And as much as the culture around you may be opposed to Jesus, as much as your school around you may be opposed to Jesus, as much as your workplace around you may be opposed to Jesus, Christ is drawing people to Himself. He is. He is always knocking. It is the heart of God. Up until the very last moment... Jesus is offering grace. And so he gracefully asked this question. At this point, his claws are not out. And he says, how can they say the Christ is David's son? And then he says, for David himself says, and he quotes from the book of Psalms. You see, what we have here, and we've already kind of talked about this a lot, is Jesus is man's perfect deliverer. We see that from the history of Israel. We see what they were expecting. He is the perfect deliverer. And they're expecting that. They're desiring that. I want to give you one more verse from 2 Samuel. Okay, Here's one of their passages that they trusted and believed and waited on. And listen, folks. It's true. This don't, Do not misunderstand me in one bit. This verse from 2 Samuel chapter 7 is absolutely bedrock true. When your days are fulfilled, speaking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Jesus is, that is the Davidic covenant, He is the Son of David coming to set up His kingdom and every promise that God has made to man will be true. Look forward to that. That is ultimately going to happen after Jesus raptures His church and returns seven years later and sets up His kingdom here on earth. That's when that's ultimately going to be fulfilled. He is the perfect deliverer. Now, that's not, it's not the deliverer the Jews wanted. It's not, the, it's not the deliverance that maybe we want. Okay? I mean, they were looking for sort of limited authority. You can't really speak into my life. And not go ahead, look at Jesus that way. You're a good guy. You're a great teacher. But we're going to limit your authority a little bit. You run into this ever? Going to limit Jesus' authority? You ever, ever run into this? In your own heart? <laughs> I do. I experience it. Going to limit the authority. Going to limit your ability. Okay? Going to limit your ability a little bit. You know, you really can't do this, Jesus. This is a little bit too far for you. And you know the authority anyway, right? We have this idea. And they, they were the same way. Okay? They were the same way. And in reality, the truth is, we think Jesus is limited in his reality. We think Jesus, much like the, the leaders of that day, in reality... His effect in our life is pretty limited. I go to church on Sunday. I read my Bible for like 10 minutes, you know, a couple times a week. 
But I need to live out my regular old life. This is not the deliverance that God has promised. This is not the son of David. This is not this Davidic covenant. This is not Him ruling in our lives. The son of David, the Messiah Christ, has claws. And His desire and love for us is to rule every bit of you and me. But the beautiful thing is, try to find our joy. Now let's, let's take apart this argument here that quickly in verse number 42. We're going to go back to Psalm 110 because Jesus does. In verse 42, he says, For David himself says in the book of the Psalms, and then he quotes from Psalm 110. Go ahead and turn there, okay? Psalm 110. While you're going there, I'll tell you a couple things about it. It's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. It's quoted the most often. It's quoted throughout the Gospels. Jesus uses this psalm left and right. When the apostles now begin leading the church, they're quoting this psalm left and right. In Peter's great sermon in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and all through there, he's quoting Psalm 110. It's referenced in the book of Hebrews. This is a significant psalm. The New Testament authors chose this psalm over and over again. It's a messianic psalm. What that means is it's written about the coming Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. And in it, there are some great truths that you can see for people desiring deliverance, for people who have been oppressed by governments, you can see how they misunderstood this psalm. I mean, look at it. Psalm 110. You're there now, right? The Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand. See how I did that there, by the way? Let me read that again. The Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand. This is how they read, read it in the day. Some of you are shaking your head like, yeah, I, I saw what you just did there. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. What's that look like? A big sword, right? Or a, not a sword, but actually a staff, okay? Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people, that's in the Jewish mindset, Jewish people, will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning to the day of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. A priest forever. How long? Forever. And you were of Melchizedek. Now what is going on here? The, the religious elite in that day loved this song. Because it elevated their idea of their religion. But in Luke chapter 20, Jesus takes the very first phrase that everybody, when they read this, just blow right through it. And he says, tell me, guys, this is back in Luke chapter 20, why does David call his Lord my Lord? More, more correctly, Psalm 110 verse 1 says this, Yahweh says to my Adonai, the Lord, your translation may have all capitals, L-O-R-D. This was the unutterable word name of God. Yahweh says to my Adonai, 
Adonai is the word, we talk about this word a lot of times, because it's in some of our songs. It means master, it means controller, it means lord, it means boss in our culture today. So Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Folks, here's what we need to understand about son of David. And what it means when you have a Christmas card and it says, born to you this day in the town of Bethlehem or in the town of David or whatever it might be, or Joseph, a son of David. Here's what it means. It means Jesus is our God in victory. That's what it means. Son of David, the Christ, means he is victorious and Jesus is more than a good man. He is God in the flesh. What great truth this is for us. So go back now to Luke chapter 20. Jesus brings us up to them. He says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my reign until I make your enemies footstools. David thus calls him Lord. So Jesus asked this question. So how is he his son. You hear what you guys all just said to that? Did you hear, their, did you hear your response? How was he his son? They had the same response. There is no response. What Jesus was showing them, using their most sacred song, Using their most sacred truth is a, just a glimpse at the nature of God. Oh, we call it the Trinity, okay? God is three in one. We have perfect persons of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. All co-equal with God, co-eternal, co-worthy of our worship. Each playing a role in our relationship with God but not equal to one another. They don't fill Rowan and step into another. God, who rules over all the universe, who is sovereign over everything, God the Father. God the Son, who comes and dies for us, gives His life for us, takes that life that He took on, born in a manger, grew to be a man, killed, resurrected, ascended today, has a body at this moment. Jesus still in a human body today. Wow, what love to take on that kind of limitation. That's love for us. Jesus, God the Son. And then as He goes, He says, it is to my, or your advantage that is, it is to your advantage that I leave because I will give you what? Do you remember? The Holy Spirit who will come and indwell in you, the Spirit of God, who Peter says, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? Why do you lie to God? Co-equal, Spirit of God, God the Father, Jesus, co-equal members of the Trinity. This is our God. You know why it is that when your seven-year-old daughter says, Daddy, I have a question. I have daughters, and they would ask me questions, and I just scratch my head like... Man, I'm supposed to be able to answer this, and I can't pull it off. How is God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, how are they all the same but different? Don't ask me that right now. I'm busy. Right? No, no, I don't do that. I hope not. Probably occasionally. We try to explain it. 
We can't. But it's the nature of our God. And He is worthy of our worship. And if we don't receive the truth that Jesus is more than a man, He's not a good teacher. Those around us who see Him as a nice idea, it's something to celebrate. And even got little, you know, things on our tree that maybe talk about Jesus, the Son of David. But unless they receive Him as their Lord, they do not experience eternal life. Listen to 1 John chapter 5. Whoever believes in the Son of God has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is that testimony. This is 1 John 5, 10-13. And this is that testimony. That God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Jesus cannot be just a nice little ornament In our life. He is God. In the flesh. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to come to you right now. As our God. Lord, we want to surrender authority to you now. Lord, we fight you for it. We try to rule our lives. We surrender, Lord, to you. Lord, as God, we want to acknowledge your limitless ability. Lord, whatever situation we're pressed by, whatever thing we want delivered from, you are capable, you are able. And Lord, we want to confess to you that you are the reality. And so, Lord, in that authority, in that power, you know best. We surrender to you today as our God and as our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.